0: That's the deal. Now turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, don't feel worried about this. Hands up. We're going to have people come down the aisles to give you Bibles. We want you to follow along. We want you to be able to flip through the text. So if you need one, raise your hands. If you uh, don't own one at all, you can take it home with you. No? Okay, Looks like we're good. Oh, no, there's one there. There's one there. Okay. Exodus chapter 19. We are in week three of our Advent series. If you are unfamiliar with what Advent is, um, over here, Aunt, on this side here, yep. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with what Advent is, it's simply, it just means the coming, right? Coming of something. So we say the Advent season, it's a season that the church across the world celebrates as we remember Jesus born, come to earth God in the flesh, okay? So that's what Advent is. Uh, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then usually something's done on Christmas Day, or in our case, Christmas Eve, okay? And so in this Advent series, we've, we've entitled it Covenant Christmas, and we've decided we wanted to take a look, kind of a 35,000-foot level view of the Old Testament as it leads up to Jesus, and we were going to do so through looking through the four major covenants of the Old Testament, And say, okay, what do these have to tell us about what Israel, the Old Testament Israel, what the people of God from the Old Testament, what they were expecting and hoping for, and then realizing now us on the other side of the advent of Christ, how are we celebrating and what does that mean to live in action based on what has already occurred? Okay, so we've looked at these four. I said in, the, in week one, this reminded me of every time you're on a freeway and you begin to drive and there is a city that is coming up, you'll begin to see billboards that tell you of things that are in that city, right? So when you drive to Kingman, there is a brilliant billboard that's about 40 miles out that's for this restaurant called In-N-Out, okay? Amen, okay? And you see this billboard, and there is this gleaming, shiny bun, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a whole grilled type of man myself. I don't know how you have yours, but it's this beautiful burger, and it says 40 miles away, Kingman. And so never before in your life did you say, I can't wait to get to Kingman until you saw that sign, Okay. But, but here's, here's what this does for us. As we look through the whole time, here's what Israel, I think, is at, is that they, they see these billboards, they see these covenants that God makes with man, and they see how he is working with them, and they say, this is what the coming kingdom will be like. This, this is what the coming Messiah will be like. And so they look to these billboards, they look to these covenants, and now on the other end, here's where we live. As the church in 2015, we look back as if we've already been there. So we look back, we've already eaten our in and out, we've left Kingman, and we're driving down the road and we say, man, that was fantastic, I'm going to live in that reality now. Now, here's what we do for the church, we know Christ has already come, right? We celebrate Christmas everywhere in this world, and so we know Jesus has come, the Messiah has arrived, and so now the calling for the church in 2015 is to live in light of what has occurred. We as the church celebrate, and then we live in action because of what has already happened, That's our role in this. And so today, we just step into the third part, the third covenant of the Old Testament in which God works with man. First, or two weeks ago, we talked about Noah and the Noahic covenant. What we saw and established was that God decided he would never flood the earth again and wipe out all flesh. This was a royal grant type of covenant. In other words, the beneficiary, us, right? The beneficiary of the covenant need not do anything in order for it to be fulfilled. He was never, he is never going to do this again but we also found that the beautiful gospel piece, the foreshadowing billboard moment for Israel, was that in Noah we found that God chose one man amidst all of humanity that was deemed righteous, that God would use his obedience to bring salvation to the world. We fast forward to Christ. We know Jesus, chosen amongst all the people of the world, God in the flesh, come to earth, Chosen as the righteous one, once and for all, that in his obedience the world might be saved. So Noah is rather just a foreshadow to Christ. Then last week we talked about Abraham, and we all remember Abraham. He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and we did the whole song. Remember, we all clapped, it was brilliant. Abraham, also a foreshadow to Christ, a billboard moment for the people of Israel because they saw this man who left what was comfortable, left his home. God says, Abraham, I want you to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says this and says, go. This is now my calling for you. and In his obedience, God will bless him with this truth. And so, God, so Abraham goes. And we see the same thing in Christ as we fast forward to his life where God calls Jesus out of what was comfortable, what was known, into a land that was not his own, that in his obedience the world might be saved. Again, Noah, Abraham, all foreshadowing billboards to the coming king and kingdom of Christ. Today is no different. Today we look at Moses, okay, in the Mosaic Covenant. Now if Abraham is the... Father Abraham guy. Okay, Moses is the let my people go guy, right? Like he's the guy who stands before Pharaoh with his staff. Let my people go. If you've seen Ten Commandments, you have an idea of what I'm talking about. So Moses is going to be kind of this third billboard for the Old Testament Israel, the people of God, to look to of what is to come. For us, it's a third moment of celebration for what he's bringing about or has already brought about that now we live in. Okay, so a little history before we get into the text. Abraham goes to the promised land. He fulfills that. There's some detours along the way, but he ends up in the promised land. Then he has some children, okay? He has uh, Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob has this kid, Joseph, okay? Joseph becomes a major player in the book of Genesis as he is sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers who are just terrible, terrible brothers. Um, And then he goes, and then in just a crazy series of events, raises up to be the second in command of all of Egypt, okay? How many people have seen Prince of Egypt, okay? Shockingly accurate and good, okay? So um, so in Prince of Egypt, he raises up, and act in the Bible, more importantly, um, he gets raised up to number two. Now in this, God then will, uh, there's a famine in the land, and Israel now will be essentially bought by Egypt so that they would still have provision, and now all of Israel comes up underneath uh, Egypt as slaves, okay? They now work for Egypt and so that brings us to this moment with Moses because God remembering his covenant with Abraham that he would raise him up creating him a people that would bless the nations that they'd have a land that have people that have blessing he raises up this man Moses and says you're going to be my guy I want you to go to Pharaoh I want you to say let my people go Pharaoh, or Moses does this, Pharaoh says no, ten times he says no, and each time God brings a different plague upon the land of Egypt until after the tenth plague, Pharaoh finally says yes, and he lets the people of God go. And as they march out of Egypt, Pharaoh's heart begins to get even more hardened than it already was, and he regrets his decision, and he sends his army to track back down Israel. Okay, So the Israelites are now moving. They come up to the Red Sea and they're looking at Moses and they're looking at God and saying, what have you done? We're trapped. There's a giant body of water. What will we do? Moses steps forward in this classic scene, which we've all probably heard about at some point in our lives. God splits the Red Sea in half and the people of God pass through the sea and walk to the other side. The Egyptian army in pursuit comes into the Red Sea, and as before they could actually get across, the Red Sea closes over them, Egypt is demolished, and the people of God are set free, okay? This is the whole narrative, where we pick it up in Exodus 19, the people of God are now moving into the wilderness, the promised land is not very far away, God is already providing food, things are very good for the people of God. Like they're looking around and they're having, they're like, man, we just were doing this just a month ago. Now it's just all good. Now this doesn't last. This doesn't last for the people of God. It's like every Disney film you've ever seen, okay? For example, Bambi, right? Like, oh, this is beautiful. There's some deer, some water, and a forest, and then there's fire and death, okay? Yeah, yeah cars, right? Poor Lightning McQueen, he's crushed in the racing circuit, and then all of a sudden he falls out of a trailer, and he's stuck in some podunk town in the middle of Arizona, okay? <laughs> Just sadness and oppression, okay? Finding Nemo, they all get to swim, life's great, they're living in an enemy, which sounds awesome, and the next thing you know, mom's dead, and there's a bunch of eggs that are missing, okay? <laughs> Nemo's got a bad fin, Disney movies are terrible. (laughs) Everything looks great for the people of God right now. Okay? Like, everything looks really good for them. They're, They're finally out of slavery. God is their God. He's providing everything. They have a strong leader in Moses. Their families are together. They just saw the Red Sea opened. God is on their side. Everything looks really, really good. They will forget this reality very quick and it will cause terrible things to happen to the people of God. And there's going to need to be, just like in every Disney movie, there needs to be a hero that is raised up to fix the problem. Okay. There needs to be someone who God raises up once and for all to handle the problem and the dilemma of the true story of the world. Okay. And this covenant is just another part of that, okay? Last thing I'm gonna say before we get into the text, and this has been an issue, I think every time you would take a huge topic like the Mosaic Covenant or the Abrahamic Covenant or anything where there's just so many chapters to cover, there's so much to talk about, you have to in this moment try and come up with some type of rubric or way that we can understand this covenant, what it meant for the people of Israel, what it means for us now and propels us forward. And so here's what I've decided to do and hopefully the Holy Spirit along the way, right? I'm going to quote a guy that is not often quoted in a, I'd say, in a good sermon, okay? Um, He's not a guy that is all that respected amongst Western civilization. His name is Friedrich Nietzsche, okay? Or Nietzsche, if depending on how you say it, okay? Now, a lot of what he said was at least interpreted absolutely terribly and has caused terrible things in this world. But there is this one thing that he said and we were talking about it this week in this class that actually Anthony and I were part of this week and I thought it was actually like a really brilliant concept and we're going to lay it over this because I think it does the perfect job for us of understanding how God was kind of causing this billboard future reality moment for the people of Israel but also gives us this room for us to celebrate and the quote is this. He says, A people with no memory okay, is a people without an identity and a people without an identity is a people without a future. A people without a memory is a people without an identity, and a people without an identity is a people without a future. And so we're going to look at these three things as it's laid out throughout the covenant, and then for us as well. Exodus 19, 1, here we go. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The first part, the first calling, the first piece of this covenant is remembrance, okay? The first part of this covenant is have a shared memory. Do not forget what I have done. Now, there is a a scientific disorder and reality called retrograde amnesia, which when something terrible has happened, some type of trauma, what happens is everything before the event, you completely forget. You can only create new memory. Then there's something called anterograde amnesia, which means everything after that traumatic event you cannot remember. So you cannot create new memories. You only remember what is way back before the traumatic event. I think the reality for Israel and honestly for us is I think somehow when it comes to God, we suffer with both. I think we so easily forget the things that God has done and solidified in history, and we have the hardest time remembering the new things he does in our life today. And I don't know why that is. I, maybe it's culture, maybe it's because all this stuff is pulling us. We have so many things in our minds that we can't just sit and actually reflect on what God has accomplished on our behalf and is accomplishing on our behalf right now. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly, but there's probably some things. But this was going to be and become a huge problem for the people of Israel. And so thank God, initially establishing this covenant, it's like, here's what we need to do. You know where we're to start? You want to start with this covenant? It's like, you need to remember me. You need to remember what just happened. Do you not remember? You were enslaved. I did ten plagues to allow Pharaoh to finally let you go. I saved you in the Passover moment. I brought you into and out of the city. And then I, cried, I Took an ocean and moved it to the side so you could walk through. Do not forget these things. Because if you do, it's going to affect who you believe you are. Okay. So it starts with remembrance, to have a shared memory. Um, as a kid, my, my dad, and, and you know, as we approach kind of Christmas season, we all, I think for the most part, have some Christmas traditions that they just kind of shape us, right? They cling to us. They're kind of our thing. And now that I have a son, I begin to think through, well, how many of those traditions do I want to bring into his life? And honestly, it's every single one. Like, I just enjoyed these things my father did so much. And really to the point, there's this one thing. Um, My dad, we would do Christmas morning, like open up presents and stuff at 12.01 a.m., okay? So we would, uh, I know people think it's crazy, right? It's not crazy. You're crazy. Um... (laughs) And so what happened is my brother and I go to bed, you know, 8 o'clock or something, and then uh, and we weren't really falling asleep. We were just like nervously sweating till we could wake up. And then uh, and my dad, he had this huge Liberty Bell. Uh, don't think the real thing, like handheld Liberty Bell. And he would um, at 1201 run out the front door, go around behind our windows, and shake this bell yelling, ho, 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 right? <laughs> I mean, just the most adorable thing for a father to do. You know, and he's got bad knees, and so he's like, you know, like this kind of... And, uh, and, and we'd wake up, and, and I remember, like, even... It was so great, because even when my brother finally knew... Never mind. So... I don't know who's here. Um, so when Santa would come and drop off all the stuff, we'd go out and open presents. And, and so Santa... We're like, thanks, man. And... Um, and... <laughs> Oh, I should have thought about this before. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. I, you know, now that I have a son, and I'm thinking, like, gosh, I, I want to do that. Like, I, I can't wait till I could do that. Like, we're not going to do it when he's, you know, he's, like, one in a few months now. So we'll probably wait a bit. But, but I can't wait to do these things. And, and I kept kind of going back to these Christmas traditions over and over. And not just the specific things, but what they've created and instilled in me in this season. Like, like the way that my parents kind of handled Christmas has, has allowed for this season to truly be like, I'm that guy who just loves Christmas. Like I won't play the music before Thanksgiving, but I want to, right? Like I'm, I am that and it's all because this stuff has so influenced who I am During this time, I want to live this reality out. You see, see, God is saying, like, listen, remember the things of God, Israel. Like, remember, Israel, that I created the world. Remember, Israel, that, that I raised up Noah and I delivered the people. Remember, Israel, that I raised up your father, Abraham, and I brought him into a promised land for you to have and to keep and to tend Remember Israel, how I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Remember, 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 because if you do, it will shape you to be the people I want you to be. Church today, remember God created the world. Remember that the story of the Old Testament, hear me, if you're a Christian and here today, the story of the Old Testament is your story, it is your heritage. We have been grafted into the people of God. This is your story. So remember all of these covenants. Remember all these things. But don't forget Jesus. Remember Christ. Remember his life, his death, and his resurrection. Because if we do, if we sit in the realities of what he has already accomplished, and then do not forget the work that he is accomplishing in your life today, yesterday, a week ago, around you. Meditate, study, reflect. Be in and understand these things so that it will go with you as you be shaped and formed to become the people he has called the church to be. Amen? So, so this, this, this remembrance piece is very, very important. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Okay, so now he's saying, listen, here's what's going to happen. If you would just remember, and if you would obey my law, and, and the law has yet to have been given at this point, okay? So they're not fully sure what this looks like, but God is establishing this covenant with Moses. If you can go and tell the people, if they listen to my law, if they obey my law, here's what I will do. I will make them a treasured possession, a holy people, and a royal priesthood. They will be my treasured possession. They will be my people belonging to me. I will adore them, treasure them, provide for them. The whole deal. Think of your most treasured possessions. That's how he will treat us, but exponentially greater. You will be a holy people, Israel. These laws will actually cause you to be different from the world. That you will be an alternative community. That you will be righteous and holy. That people would look to you and say, man, there's something else here and I think I want it. And that you would be a royal priesthood, that you would be raised up as a people then that would go and be God's agents of grace, mercy, hope, and righteousness to the world. Okay. This was all the promise. If you just obey my law, this is what will happen. The reality for us today, or let's say this: the reality of Israel is they heard this covenant. And then they anticipated, okay, if we do this, this is what God will make of us. It was this longing moment for the people. We want that. We want to be that. And so we're going to do our best to obey. The church today lives in the reality where because of Christ, this is no longer an anticipati- anticip- anticipation. This is a celebration because Christ has already accomplished this on our behalf. First Peter 2.9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so here's the reality for the church in 2015. If you're here and you're a Christian, the promises that were given to Moses... Way back when, thousands of years ago, the promises given him, if you obey Moses, I will make you my treasured possession, a holy people and a royal priesthood. Peter is telling the church today, this is now who you are. Your identity is shaped by this. We are a treasured possession church. We are a holy people. We are a royal priesthood. We are to be kind of different, a alternative community that goes and blesses the world at the same time. This is the reality for the church today. It's no longer, man, I hope this happens. God's saying, no, it has happened. Jesus has fulfilled it. We're going to find out in just a moment. Listen, Moses tried to fulfill this. The people of God, man, they kind of tried. They failed miserably, but they tried to go. It did not work out very well. So again, a hero was needed. That hero has already come. We celebrate his birth in two weeks. The church today rejoices because this is now our identity. What happens for us, though, is I think we forget what he has done, we forget then our identity, and then we cannot live in it today. So, today, I, I, I think the reality for many in the church, and, and I mean this kind of capital C, big C church, church around the world, is we've just forgotten the gospel. Like, we, we've forgotten what God has done. We've forgotten not just what he's done, but we've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten his character. We've forgotten the way he loves. And so, man, you just you start looking at stuff happening across our world and you begin to wonder what is going on? What is going on? There is, I, I am going to probably be the last person to ever tell you that America is a Christian nation, but there is a reality where there's, there's this book by his name. His name's Richard Tarnas, and he's an atheist. Or agnostic, atheist type of, somewhere in between, he would say. And he wrote a book called The Passion of the Western Mind. And he wrote this book, and in this book, he chronicles all of history and how the West, the Western civilization, has arrived at the place it has. And he would say, again, atheist, agnostic, right? Not sure where he lands, but thinks he doesn't exist. Would say that every reason that we have such a strong moral fiber in the West is because of the gospel. So he doesn't believe the gospel. He doesn't think that the gospel is true. He thinks it's made up. He doesn't think it's accurate. He doesn't think it's that helpful. But he would say that if you look out at our culture, that the West has been so shaped by this thing called the gospel, that even in not believing it anymore, they're still living in its morality. And the more we degrade the gospel presence in this nation and around the world, Man, it's only going to go bad for our nation. This is an atheist saying this, that the more we take the gospel out of culture, the more that that gets removed, the more we forget about Jesus, the more we forget about his life, death, and resurrection, the more we forget about a God who created the world. Western civilization is in trouble. This is true for the church as well. So forget macro level the entire way. Let's bring it into Redemption Church Flagstaff. The moment I, as the pastor here and the rest of our staff, the moment you, as people who come and attend, the moment we begin to forget what Christ has done, we lose who we are. And when we lose who we are, we are no use to the world. Because we just focus on ourselves. We do whatever is right in our own eyes. Okay, We wake up every day and say, what do I want? Not What does he want? And these questions need to be shifted. We need to remember the gospel and live in the identity that we've been given. Now, the people of Israel, they fail at this miserably as well. There's two major points of this where I think in in, in the forgetting, right, in the loss of their identity, there's two big sins I think they fall into. One is idolatry and the other one is disbelief. Idolatry we see in Exodus 32. Now, let me just remind you, in Exodus 20, one chapter after what I just read, in Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments, And in the first commandment, right, I am the Lord God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods but me. Okay, no other gods, no other, don't worship any idol, any graven image. We fast forward to Exodus 32. This is not a huge gap of time. And all of a sudden, Moses is up on the mountain. The people start to get nervous. And they ask Aaron, who is the high priest of the time, hey, we don't know where Moses is. Will you make a god for us to worship? Will you make an idol for us to worship? And so Aaron grabs the gold from all the people and fashions a golden calf, which they worship and idolize. This is, but I mean, what twelve chapters later in our in our Bible, and they've already forgotten the first commandment, and they've moved to idolatry. They forgot. They didn't remember. They didn't know who they were. So they began to do whatever was right in their own eyes. And in that moment, it was to worship a golden calf. Okay. This does not go well. God is not very excited about this. Sends Moses back down. Do you see what the people are doing? They get punished. And the other one is in Numbers 13, this disbelief. Numbers 13, God says, Listen, I want you to go and possess the land that I promised to your father Abraham. Go and subdue it, take it over. And so they go and they get to the border of the promised land. They're looking over into Canaan and they are supposed to go. They send out scouts and scouts come back. And instead of feeling confident in the reality that who has delivered them is God himself, the one with whom they have already experienced deliverance, they instead come back in fear and say, They're too big. They're too many. We'll never be able to do it. Let's not even try. And they convince the people of God to not go where God has called them. And in this disbelief, now God causes both them, and so the idolatry and the disbelief, cause for the people of God to wander in wilderness for 40 years. Until the generation that come out of Egypt had died. Okay. Disbelief, idolatry, forgetting the works in the hand of God, they all lead us towards wilderness. We're now, instead of the people of God, Israel, living in the mission that God had given them to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood, to go to be different but also engaged with the world. Instead, Israel was finding themselves just wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And again, a critique upon the church and on myself is I feel like we're just wandering in the wilderness. I don't know how you guys feel these days but I am just so I mean Verity and I, we talk about it, I talk with the staff, my friends the world is just so messed up right now like, ne- I, I can't believe there's a reality that, that here, they hear let me say this, I can't believe there's a reality that I, I wake up every day and when I check Google News there's a borderline expectation in my heart that there was some type of mass shooting or terrorist attack. It's just kind of like, I'm going to click it and there's going to be something terrible to happen. That's, on a, that's like on a, on a nationwide scale. The scarier part, I think, in the midst of this is there's people around the world that have lived like that their entire lives. And I'm, you know, I'm just kind of getting to it right now. But the world is so, so messed up right now. You got stuff everywhere. Brink of all sorts of terrible things. And I do not believe that the answer for the world is who we elect next November. Okay? And, and I don't think the answer for the world and all its problems is a whole bunch of self-help books. And I don't believe it's, it's watching Oprah and all of her other stuff. Right? I, I don't believe it's just trying to be a good person. Because that always fails. We've all tried that. You're not that good. I I don't think it's any of the new ideologies of the day that say we can fix those. I don't think it's humanism which says the power of the human spirit will prevail. I think it's Jesus. And we are the people that possess that story. Like you're the only, listen church, you're the only people that possess that story. So stop keeping it to yourself. We need to remember we need to be shaped by what God has already done and we need to become a holy nation and a royal priesthood because the church in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is the answer for the brokenness of this world. Okay. So let's be that people. Let's be what Israel was unable to be as it continued to fail and blunder. And we're not perfect. Moses failed, and yet God, in the midst of this, seemed to continue on in his covenant. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, Moses blew it to the point where even God didn't even let him enter the promised land at the end of his life, okay? So Moses didn't fulfill this perfectly. The people of God certainly didn't fulfill this perfectly in the Old Testament, yet God continues his covenant. And why is that? And why for us today, even though I will wake up every morning celebrating his new mercy And then usually by noon, I'll be doing something that contradicts that I'm so excited about it. Like, why is this? And shocker, the answer is still Jesus. It's because Moses was a billboard moment for the people of God. And a billboard moment for us where now we celebrate as we look back on it. Because in the same way, right, that Noah was the righteous one, that God called out that in his obedience the world would be saved, in the same way that Abraham went from a place that he, that he loved, that was comfortable to where he did not know, that in his obedience the world would be saved. Like in, in those, and now in Moses. In Moses we find a man that was chosen amongst all the people, that in him he would mediate the covenant between God and man that God would continue in his steadfast love and pursuit for his people. In Jesus, we have a man where Moses was fallible, Christ was not. And so he fulfills the law perfectly. He lives his life perfectly. And then he dies a death where then everything that we've done was put on his shoulders. Every sin, every piece of brokenness. So now the reality is Moses is a foreshadow to Christ because Christ is the true final mediator between God and man and the new covenant which we'll talk about on Christmas Eve. The fulfillment of everything leading up in the Old Testament is to this man, Jesus, the answer and hope of the world. That's what we sing, right? Joy to the world. All of these Christmas hymns consistently speak of Jesus, the hope of the world. Do not forget that the only hope of the world is Jesus. And Christian you know him, so tell about him to those who you know, okay? And then if we do this, if we do this, I believe then we will have a future, okay? If we, if we have a shared memory, if we sit in the gospel realities, we, we meditate, we remember, we'll have this identity we're supposed to have, and then I think we will have this future in the here. In the here, it just means we live as those people, right? We go, we tell people about Jesus, We live our lives, listen, when it's at work, when it's in school, wherever you're at. If you're, you know, you be the best husband before the face of God you can, the best wife, the best teacher, the best doctor, the best student. Whatever you do, do your jobs well. Do it to bless the world, okay? And also as you're at, while you're at it, open up your mouth and start talking about Jesus a little bit, okay? And then finally... There is a future that is not just in the here but in the hereafter and is now still then for us, the people of God today, it is a billboard moment for what we look to for what is to come. Okay? Okay, it, it is, it is, it's like when you're on your way and you're driving, you're like, oh, Kingman in and out, that's sweet. But when you keep driving, you get to get to the beach and the beach is awesome. Right? There's something so much better that is to come than Kingman. that what we see when you, when you open up Google News, whatever, when you open up your newspaper, if, if, if you young kids even know what that is, it's this thing that shows up every morning. Peel it open. When you start reading this stuff, the hope is this is not the end. This is not, there is more. And so I'm going to say it one last time. Please, church, let us never forget. Always remember. Sit in, meditate, and reflect on what God has accomplished throughout history and in your life today. Let that shape you as to who you are. Let nothing else define you outside of what God has said about you. You're His son. You're His daughter. And let that be the thing that propels us as a church forward into the future where we live as a holy nation a royal priesthood here in Flagstaff or wherever you call home in hope of this future eternity where we live before Him and with Him forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Advent season. God, in all the the hustle and bustle of getting presents and buying trees and decorating houses and even putting together a sermon series and all this stuff, I think there's some sometimes we just can't stop and we can't stop enough to just sit and reflect and remember what we truly celebrate this season. It's not just this one isolated moment, God, where you were, you sent your son to be born in a manger. Birth. From a virgin. God, it's, that's not, it's not just an isolated moment. God, it is the entire redemptive story that comes behind it. God, it's only such amazing news. It's only this great thing that kings would tremble and, and wise men would travel great distance and the world would rejoice. It's, it's not that if we don't know, God, why it's such good news that you decided to come that you've been planning this for years and years and years, and God, we now know that you've already come. And so we know that when we sing to you, you are alive and risen. As we sing these truths and these hymns, God, may our hearts celebrate what you have done, and then God, would that reality shape us to be a people who are sent out to preach your kingdom to the world. God, thank you for men like Noah and Abraham and Moses who you've raised up and used to bless the world. God, would we be that type of community? God, that you would call us, raise us up, equip us, and send us to the world to be witnesses, evangelists, ambassadors, God, to your kingdom. God, so bless us now. Well, the last thing I ask is that you would, you would touch and speak to the hearts of any who are here, God, who are, who are not your children yet. God, any who are here who have just, maybe they've just in, intentionally forgotten the story. Maybe they never knew it. God, I pray that that which has been heard, God, would be received. And Holy Spirit, would you bring about renewal, salvation, transformation. Again, in a bringing of new life. God, to all those here who don't know you, may they know you. God, now propel us forward as we respond. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so now, as always, we take.